And perhaps you have been to Holland and visited the Anne Frank Museum in Amsterdam. A lot of people are familiar with the Diary of Anne Frank. It has been printed in numerous languages and several times. I don't believe it's been out of print since it, it was printed. The diary of this young woman held up in an attic with uh, her family and strangers and just the life of a teenager in hiding. And it's just a, such a tragic story because Anne Frank, of course, the family were um, eventually found by the Nazis. And the big question is, who turned the Franks in? Here to talk about this this uh, story, I'd like to welcome onto the show um, Rosemary Sullivan. She is a uh, Canadian author, and she has put out a do- um, um, a new book. It's called The Betrayal of Anne Frank, A Cold Case Investigation. Uh, she teamed up with some Dutch researchers who were looking into who may have turned the Franks in. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Uh, good to be on. Thank you, Kelly. I understand that this was a group of uh, Dutch investigators, and this investigation started in, um, I believe it was 2018. Um, they were looking. Sorry, actually, uh, much uh, it began in 2016. Okay, two years and, earlier. Okay. Yeah. Why did was, the investigators, what, what was significant about the timing, and why did they want to find out who turned in the Franks? Well, the first person to uh, come up with the idea of a cold case investigation was Tice Byen, a filmmaker. And he felt that um, uh, the, that the Netherlands still had uh, not seriously understood what the country had gone through in that time. He also felt that, um, as we all do, that there's been a kind of shift to the alt-right uh, worldwide, the rise of nationalism, of ideological ha- uh, hatred, of conspiracy theories, and he felt that uh, that impact uh, impacting the Netherlands, they needed to look at where they'd been before. So then he joined. He was joined by a wonderful Dutch journalist, uh, Peter Van Twisk, and together they had decided to, uh, on the advice of some of their colleagues in the uh, investigative section of the of the National Police, they decided to ask a man called Vince Pankoek who was a retired special investigator for the FBI uh, to lead the investigation. And that's how it began. This is an investigation. It's a cold case that's, uh, you know, years. 77 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, To reopen it now with a lot of the people, unfortunately, that would have been in the know or might have had some information, also victims of the concentration uh, camp system and and. You know, tragically, their lives ended at the hands of the Nazis. That is like looking for a needle in a haystack. But, you know, the question is, why did they feel, I guess, um, motivated to to find this person that turned in the Franks when it almost changes the storyline of Anne Frank's life? I mean, you know, it did end tragically with her dying in a concentration camp along with her sister. Um, But the story was always about hope. The story was always about what? Hope, this young hope, girl, yes. hoping. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that's. I don't think the the issue is not that uh, the story has been changed by this investigation. Um, this is more of an investigation that takes place beside Anne Frank's story. The thing about Anne Frank's story is that I think it's an or almost an organic story that grows and changes with with a, with historical context. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, when you read it, um, you know what Anne Frank doesn't know as she's writing that she will be 
in a concentration camp a year, uh, uh, dying in a concentration camp a year after she ends her diary, or actually not a year, uh, six months. Uh, and uh, so as you read it, uh, it's just astonishing the energy, the ebullience, the positivity of this child, mm-hmm. her idealism, her ambitions, and yet her fear, the terror, the reality of the dark uh, darkness of living with on these three floors for two years and one month. It's such an astonishing story, and it remains a very powerful story. What is What this is, is that her story becomes a vehicle to looking at what occupation is really like. We sometimes try to think of uh, war as, you know, soldiers in a field, the good guys against the bad guys. We have some heroic stories of resistance fighters, but the banality of occupation, of living with fear, of living with um, betrayal, of mistrust, of, of uh, as Meep Geese, who was one of the uh, people who helped hide the Anne, Anne Frank and the uh, Anne Frank's family and the other four in the in the uh, secret annex. Uh, she just talks about um, you know how you stopped being able to speak because you couldn't trust people. So I I think that uh, it, mm-hmm. this book in a way is about um, there's a moment at the beginning of the book where Otto Frank is sitting with friends in 1933 and they hear over the radio that Hitler has, has been elected uh, chancellor. And the friend says, well, let's see what the man can do. I mean, we've heard that before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and the slow, uh, there was a marvelous um, uh, document I found, uh, which was um, from the U.S. Office of Strategic Services, and it was done in 1943. And it was an analysis of how Hitler operated. And they said, never admit a fault, never accept blame, concentrate on one enemy, blame him for everything. That's the language of the 43 document. So conspiracy, hyperbole, defamation, slander, they become vehicles of power. And to watch how that evolves into war um, is is, is, um, a warning, I think. It's interesting because you brought up um, how, you know, uh, war doesn't involve just, you know, troops on the battlefield. And in this case, um, what the investigative uh, team learned is that it was probably somebody in a similar situation to the Franks uh, that, you know, was also Jewish that turned them in. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that person? Because they, they turned into um, a villain themselves, but, but their goal was very similar to the Franks. It was survival. I think that's very eloquently put, exactly. Uh, Arnold Vandenberg was a prominent notary, uh, which is almost like a judge. Uh, you know, it's a very high position uh, in in uh, Amsterdam, uh, one of six. Um, uh, sorry. It happens. Technology. <laughs> um, uh, one of uh, six uh, not- notaries in, uh, in Amsterdam, Jewish notaries. Uh, he was wealthy. He had. He was a collector of um, his 17th and 18th century mas- Dutch masterpieces. Uh, he worked as the notary for the great Galsticker collection, and as it turned out, that was the vehicle for his inter- interaction with the Nazis, because Goebbels, second in command after Hitler, came to the Netherlands to raid, in fact, steal that collection. And yeah. Vandenberg was the notary. So he, had, on the one hand, had this 
interaction with the Nazi elite, and yet he was also able to place his children, his three daughters, in the uh, protection of the resistance. So it just reminds you, wealth didn't protect you, nothing protected you. You were finally vulnerable. What happened over time, as Vandenberg exhausted all of these vicious um, uh, bureaucratic exemptions that the Nazis uh, seduced uh, Jewish um, people with, you know, getting the J off your uh, passport and so on, as he realized he was being pursued by a, in a vendetta by a, um, a Dutch notary who had taken over his business when as a Jew he wasn't allowed to continue to own a business, uh, he realized he was in a tighter and tighter spots. What happened was that Vince Pankow came across a anonymous note in which the um, um, the writer says um, that uh, Van, your address. It was anonymous note that um, that Otto Frank received in the summer of 1945 after he returned from the camps, the sole survivor of his family. And the anonymous note said, your hiding place was revealed to the SD, the Nazi headquarters, by Arnold Vandenberg at such and such an address. And uh, furthermore, uh, more addresses were given by him to the SD. Is this to be taken seriously? Well, Vince examined the note, had it forensically tested. It was the note, the copy of the note that, uh, that Otto Frank made from his typewriter. Uh, and so what was important about that note was your address, not your name. So what Bandenberg did was he uh, found a collection of addresses uh, of Jews And he in was hiding, using them. And he used them, hope, or once, perhaps. Right. And he was hoping maybe that the Jews had moved on. But I don't think we can judge Vandenberg unless we are in his position, knowing our children could be sent to an extermination camp, along with our, you know, oneself and one's partner. Did we ever find out who who sent that note? Because the note, really, who sends that note is another really interesting part of this storyline. Because what they might have been saying is this really, although, you know, resulted in the tragedy of the loss of your family, this was never personal. This was survival. And, and perhaps it's something that everybody in Germany at that time that was being persecuted and, and beyond Germany could relate to. Well, in fact, uh, again, Vince had the note um, uh, tested by uh, graphologists, by linguists, concluded uh, from the, um, um, the nature of the, um, um, the linguistic structure of the note that it was by somebody who uh, was Dutch, spoke mm-hmm. Dutch, uh, worked uh, at a highly educated level, uh, in, uh, as the syntax showed, and also uh, probably was an insider to the the uh, Central Stella, which is the headquarters of the um, of the SD, uh, and we pursued one case uh, um, of a young woman who uh, had been inside the uh, the um, the SD working as the secretary to the uh, to the uh, head who whose whose uh, name was uh, Vili Lagas. Uh, and she was also working with the resistance. At the end of the war, she was arrested, and in fact, her life was destroyed. And only in the you know decades later was she exonerated. Somebody who helped to save young people from um, uh, forced labor. Um, she fit all the profiles, but you know, we it, it became circumstantial. It wasn't something we could prove. 
Before I let you go, Rosemary, I think it's important to punctuate that that Otto Frank never used this information because he did not want to hurt the family of the person that was responsible, according to this note, for the loss of his family. Absolutely. In fact, we know that simply because uh, of Meep Geese, who was uh, one of the helpers and uh, the helper closest to Otto Frank, who brought them food and comfort in those two years and one month of hiding. Mm-hmm. And Meep said that Otto Frank knew the name of the uh, of the betrayer. She knew the name of the betrayer, and the betrayer uh, had died before 1960. And the reason why Otto Frank didn't want to reveal the name when the investigation by a second police officer, Van Helden, was, occurred in 1963, or to help Simon Wiesenthal search for the betrayer or the um, the um, officer who arrested the Franks, uh, he told her it was because he didn't want to uh, damage the lives of the children of the betrayer and that, and that the betrayer was dead. What would be the point of stirring this up? I it really speaks to character. It speaks to character. Uh, Otto Frank, uh, to me, is the most extraordinary figure in the book. And maybe that's the the, the most important thing uh, when I asked about the, you know, it brings us full circle when I asked about the motivation and if this doesn't change a story uh, from hope, uh, that, that this just allows um, other characters in that story to really, uh, their story to be told and the importance uh, behind their story, uh, you know, in a, in a global uh, perspective. You know, it, it does have this story is imp- is important it's a story about forgiveness it's a story about um the fact that you can d- despite tragedy rise to a you know a higher purpose i guess and that's making sure that everybody's taken care of even if you had loss very very beautifully put i do think it's a story about forgiveness and about uh, as otto frank said the reason he published his daughter's diary one was that uh, he knew she wanted it published, but two, he wanted to have a a beacon of light in such a dark uh, world. Rosemary, I'm interested in reading this book. You know, (laughs) everybody loves a cold case. This is probably one of the uh, biggest cold cases that we're familiar with, The Betrayal of Anne Frank, A Cold Case Investigation. Is it available uh, now? Yes, it's available uh, on Amazon, of course, but also in Indigo and... Uh, it was uh, came out officially yesterday. All right. Well, thanks so much for sparing some time with us. I really appreciate you telling us about it. And I'm sure more than a few people will be uh, going on to Amazon.ca and downloading that onto their Kindle. I'm one of them. Thank you for an eloquent interview. Have a fantastic day. <laughs> you too. That's Rosemary Sullivan. She's a Canadian academic and author of the new book, The Betrayal of Anne Frank, A Cold Case Investigation.